A cover story in today's Belfast Telegraph tells of how £8 million has been spent over the last six years in, in and around the province covering up derelict shop fronts. So you might know what I'm talking about here. I think you can see it when you're driving up the Newtonards Road out of town. Uh, you'll see, well, if, if you don't look carefully, you'll see lots of shops. Uh, but if you look carefully, you'll discover that these are effectively murals that have been painted on hoardings. Um, I remember when I first saw them, I thought, well, that's nice. You know, it's a, it's a nice idea. It, it looks better than a, an empty shop behind it. But, but the truth is, once you become accustomed to those things, um, they, they don't really hide the reality from us. In behind that painting is an abandoned shop. Nobody wants it. And in the end, that's, that's just sad. These shops that have been created by the recent recession aren't the only abandoned buildings we see, so we'll, we'll see them. Uh, there are some parts of Belfast where whole streets of terraces have effectively had their doors nailed or boarded up, boards put over their windows. You'll see it also in some of the housing estates that were built in recent decades. Places where windows used to be are now built in with breeze blocks and cement, weeds growing in the gutters. But this abandonment isn't just in our buildings, is it? We see it when the social worker arrives at the door of a children's home or what we would have called an orphanage in the past. In her big hand is the small hand of a six-year-old girl. And as the adults speak and the girl's eyes look around these new surroundings, she hears the social worker whisper, abandoned. She was abandoned. And then there's the elderly woman in the nursing home rocking back and forward in her chair alone on her birthday. No card or cake or calls. The young husband whose wife suddenly decides that she wants to move on and takes her children with her. There's the employee, the loyal employee, who's given 30 years of his life to service in the company. But in the next round of cuts, he's told that he is surplus to requirements. Abandoned by shoppers or by family or by a spouse or an employer. Those things are all terrible. But there's nothing like being abandoned by God. Let me read a couple of verses again, which Emma read for us a moment ago in that third reading. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
By the time he screams these words, Jesus has been hanging on the cross for six hours. It was about nine o'clock that morning that he, he stumbled up the hill, Golgotha, carrying at least the cross beam of his cross. A soldier pressed his knee onto his forearm and drove a long nail through his wrist, then through the other, and then through both feet. And then he was hauled up. And as the Romans did that, they unwittingly put Jesus in exactly the place where he always wanted to be, between God and man. As we said at the start of our service, this is why he came. They put him up there to shame him and to ridicule him, and and it worked. Uh, We're told in verse 40 of the chapter that we've been reading from here this evening about people who passed by insulting him. You were going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the Son of God. That's what the passers-by are saying, but the the religious leaders are joining in. Verse 42, we're told, they said, he saved others, but he can't save himself. The point's well made, actually, in that moment. If this guy really is supposed to be able to work miracles, if he really is Israel's great king, or even less likely, if he, if he is somehow a son of God as he claims to be, then he wouldn't be up there and it wouldn't be ending like this. At midday, darkness fell. And it's as though a a curtain, a dark curtain, has been drawn between heaven and earth. It's a a supernatural darkness. It's it's not just a a few momentary gathering clouds. It's not a a brief eclipse of the sun. This is a three-hour blanket of darkness, we're told. And people everywhere are asking, what's, what's going on here? As far away as Egypt, the historian Dionysius notices the black sky And he writes, either the God of nature is suffering or the machine of the world is tumbling into ruin. Either the God of nature is suffering. Well, he is. Of course the sky is dark because the one who's the light of the world is being killed. Matthew tells us that it's about the ninth hour, about three o'clock in the afternoon, that Jesus cries out from the cross. Three o'clock in the afternoon. Do you know what happens at three o'clock in the afternoon on this particular day? Less than a mile east of the cross, a priest robed in white leads a lamb to slaughter it. 
This priest doesn't realize that his, his work that day is, is futile. It's a waste of time because, because God's not paying attention to that sacrifice. All eyes are on Golgotha. On that lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When Jesus' cry finally comes, it's no whisper. Um, it's, no, uh, it's, it's no small voice that he uses. Matthew says that he cries out in a, in a loud voice. It's like a roar. So nobody standing nearby misses this. They all hear it. Jesus isn't embarrassed to say these words that he's saying. He shouts them. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the only time in all of his prayers in the Gospels that Jesus ever refers to his Father as God. He's quoting from a psalm. We, we know that. It's Psalm 22. But in this moment, this, this calling of his father with this more distant title gives us a sense of the estrangement, the, the broken relationship that he's feeling in that moment. This eternal relationship of love that he's had with his father is broken. And the son feels it. He feels abandoned by his father. C.S. Lewis once said that the hiddenness of God perhaps presses most painfully on those who are in another way nearest to him. God himself made man will of all men be by God most forsaken. Lewis has a point doesn't matter if the girl at the checkout snubs me or treats me badly. I'm probably fragile enough actually to be, to be affected by that. It doesn't really matter. Or if a neighbor two streets across has some sort of a grudge and how much does that really matter? But what if it's my wife the person closest to me in the whole world, what if she abandons me? That matters. The intensity of the hurts related to the, the intimacy of the relationship. And there's no relationship like that of Jesus and his Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken? Did God forsake Jesus? God, why did you forsake your son? Why him? Yes, to the murderers, desert the paramilitaries, turn your back on the sex offenders and the drug pushers, abandon them, but not him. The one perfect and pure person who's ever lived. 
It's a question that would have puzzled the Jews of Jesus' day. They would have known for sure, because of what they knew in their mind, they would have known for sure that anyone hanging on a cross is not a friend of the living God. They knew that. They knew it because of things they read in their Bibles. So Psalm 35, David said, I have never seen the righteous forsaken. Is David wrong about that? Or is Jesus not so righteous after all? How can you be perfect and pure and yet suffer like that on a cross? The truth is, in this moment, Jesus isn't perfect and pure. He's far from it. He's carrying a huge amount of sin, wrongdoing, evil. But they're not his own sins. In his first letter, Peter sheds some light in this question. He says, he himself, that is Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. He bore our sins. That's why he's abandoned. Do you see Jesus on the cross? That's my pride and yours that puts him there. Do you see Jesus on the cross? That's, that's the liar and the bigot, the wife beater, the child abuser, the murderer. Do you see Jesus on the cross? That's Adolf Hitler, Osama bin Laden, Saddam Hussein. We don't like to think of that. We don't even like to think of Jesus' name being in the same sentence as those other evildoers. But we have to. We have to think of it in precisely those terms. We have to think of it that way because that's how he thought of it. Jesus did more than just put his names in the same sentence as these guys he placed himself in their place. He placed himself in my place and in yours. When he's hanging on the cross there with his arms open wide, Jesus is inviting God the Father and he's saying, treat me as you would treat them. And God does. That's why Jesus is abandoned. It's an act that at the same time broke God's heart and yet recognized his holiness. And the judgment that always falls on sin, that has to fall on sin because of who God is, falls on his own son. So on that first Good Friday, God gives us the finest gift imaginable.
God so loved the world that he gave his only son. My God, my God, Jesus asks, why have you forsaken me? Why did Jesus have to experience this heartbreaking separation from his father so that you and I will never have to? He gave his life in order that we might have life. He was abandoned and abandoned and distanced from God so that we can come near. Friends, it seems to me that a person who understands Good Friday will, will never live far from God. They'll run to him. They'll see what abandonment from God looks like. And they'll see the great, great lengths that God has gone to to draw them near. Let us pray. Father God, we can't begin to imagine the pain that you and your son Jesus experienced in that moment on Calvary. But Lord, we do know that it was for us that he took our sins upon himself. That it's by his stripes that we are healed. All your anger at human sin fell on your son so that your grace and mercy might fall on us. Lord, we we just can't do anything more than thank you and say thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his life lived for us and his death died for us. Lord, we pray that he will grow to mean more for us than ever before because we've seen him once more shedding his blood for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.